Meow. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Super House Podcast. This is Andrew, your host, and I'm once again joined by our senior Batman correspondent, Benoit. Hey, what's up, guys? And this week we have another Bat installment, this time uh, going in order. We're doing Batman Returns. We're just doing our thoughts and impressions mm-hmm. and maybe a little hint here and there at some of the deep dives into the scripts, but that's going to be mainly saved for the sequel to this episode. Exactly. I think uh, last time, yeah, last time we did this just for the 30th anniversary of 89, but afterwards I reached out to Andrew. I was like, what if we just did this with every Batman movie? Let's and keep just going. made that a series and stuff. We'd be set for episodes for a good period of time. So before we start, uh, I had a, I reviewed the episodes related to the 89 movie and wanted to sort of make a few corrections on some of the things that I said. As you guys can imagine, sometimes... Some of this stuff comes from my head, but also some of it comes off the cuff, and I have to sort of recheck some of the things that, um, some of the facts I was spewing out. So one of the things that I said, I said that Sam Hamm was the one who came up with the idea that Bruce Wayne traveled around the world to train to be Batman. That's kind of correct, but it was actually around the same time. Another comic book writer, uh, Christopher Priest, a.k.a. James Owsley, not the same Christopher Priest who wrote Prestige, uh, (laughs) revealed uh, the similar thing in Batman number 431. Which starts out, if this sounds familiar, with a young Bruce Wayne trekking up a snowy mountain to find the monastery <laughs> up at the top. So, with a blue flower. Uh, the blue flower part was all all Nolan and Goyer, okay. but uh, the the imagery of that comes from that comic, and that was around the same time as uh, Ham's Blind Justice, and that was all in 1989. So, kind of funny enough, the stuff about Bruce Wayne training around the world to train how to fight crime was basically a new part of the comics around the same time as the 89 movie. Okay. So that's interesting. Um, a little small correction, too. I said in my fan cast, Brian Cox would be the Tom Mankiewicz Penguin. However, I forgot my number one choice from the past, which was Bob Hoskins. Okay. I'm like, why did I not do Bob Hoskins? Not like, not, I mean, Cox would still be a good Penguin, but Bob Hoskins to me was like my number one choice for many years. And I just, I just forgot that he was still, you know, he was acting at the time. So he would have been great. Um, I said the Julie Hickson Tim Burton treatment was 80 pages. Uh, I rechecked. It was actually 43. So I don't know where I got the number 80 from, but that's uh, more of a treatment at that point. That is not a script. It was was definitely a treatment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I said Nicole Kidman wasn't really in movies in 87. Truth is, she was, but she wasn't really in anything big enough to realistically be considered for a Hollywood blockbuster movie. Um, I said Sean Young got injured shooting the horse scene for Batman 89. That's technically not true. She was actually not shooting anything. She was practicing. For uh, on her own, she was practicing a horse riding for the movie when she fell off. She didn't shoot a scene, so she was there during pre production. She actually was there for a read through of the script, okay. Uh, and she was a week away from shooting when that injury happened, so I wanted to correct that. Uh, one thing I also wanted to clarify I said Kiefer Sutherland was offered Robin before Lost Boys, Lost Boys was 87, uh, and obviously the movie was 89. However, Kiefer said he was offered it when he was around 19, which places it around 1985, 1986. So he would have okay. been offered right around the time Ham turned in his first draft okay, or so. So technically it was still before Lost Boys, even though Lost Boys came out before uh, Batman 89. Funny enough, directed by Joel Schumacher. Uh, 
the site with the photos of the Gotham City City set. I said it was called 1989 Batman Movie. It's actually called 1989Batman.com for anybody yeah. who was wondering why they couldn't find that. Um, I said it was Tim Burton and John Peters who went to see Phantom of the Opera. It was actually John Peters and Jack Nicholson. Okay. Uh, who were the ones who came up with that. And uh, lastly, I had forgotten who was the co-writer on Batman Dark Knight, which was that uh, sort of sequel script that never got made uh, that was going to have Clooney as Batman. Uh, it was Stephen Wise, not Bill Wise. Okay. And that ends my correction stuff. So now on to <laughs> Batman Returns. The corrections department. <laughs> the corrections That's good, department though. That's good. Thing. Well, because I've been in the shoes of listening to a podcast and I hear like little things. I'm like, no, that's not true. And so like, <laughs> I, I at least want to be able to correct that for the me's out there who are listening into this. So let's dive in. For me, Batman Returns uh, is kind of a weird thing because I said 89 was the movie of my childhood. It helped right. make me become a Batman fan however i didn't really grow up with batman returns as a as a little kid i i was mainly on vhs with batman 89 and batman forever um how about you well so this is the first one i believe i saw in the theater mm-hmm. and i was quite young but i it was like 92 right yeah so that was in second grade which was a good time to see it all there was a lot of adult shit in this movie but we'll get into that in a minute <laughs> So this was a big one for me, and I think I even read the novelization really? for this <laughs> as a, like a second grader. Like I think I remember reading it from cover to cover. I don't know if I skipped parts; I can't remember exactly. But but like in some ways, this was like bigger for me. But I think that when it comes down to ultimate what do you call it? Like amount of VHS plays 89 still the King, Mm. but this one was still sort of a big deal for me. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't get the VHS until maybe, I don't know, 10 or 11 or so. Okay. Uh, because at that point I like, I wanted it to be complete. Yeah. (laughs) Plus it was just like, I had only one movie with Michael Keaton as Batman and the Danny Elfman theme. And I wanted the other one. It's a natural <laughs> evolution there. It was, but what what I sort of what it sort of became was if Batman eighty nine was the movie of my childhood, Batman Returns was the movie of my adolescence. Which okay, kind of makes sense because it's a little bit more grown up. Um, it sort of fits in with somebody who is you know getting their hormones <laughs> and stuff like that. But it was also around when you were thirteen and shit. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, so so so. I would. I Pfeiffer would, was important, <laughs> very important for you. To, to be funny, to be honest though, it wasn't even really Pfeiffer. I wasn't like a lot of people talk about how like, Julie Newmore. That was how they first discovered, like you know, that <laughs> uh, that yeah, they discovered everything down there. It gets hard, but <laughs> I didn't. It wasn't really that. And even even today, like she's amazing in this role. I just don't. I don't know. It's, it's not really something about her that is like, oh my god, attracted to her, like fantasizing her about it. It was more of. The fact that when uh, I was in my adolescence, about 12 to 15, that's when you get like all girl crazy and stuff. Yeah. And a lot, most people sort of get their like first boy, first boyfriends, first girlfriends, things like that. I didn't have that. Yeah. So the sort of feeling of uh, loneliness sort of kicked in. And the one movie that ended with the hero not getting the girl was Batman Returns. Uh, which made Batman the only hero I could really relate to, which I think psychologically in plays a sad into, way, which psychologically is why I'm the senior Batman correspondent. <laughs> <laughs> I don't oh, think I realized man. that until recently, <laughs> um, but I mean, cause obviously I was into Batman beforehand, but I don't think it was never to the point where I, 
I don't think I would have necessarily grown up to be the person who would try to read all the comics and read all the unmade scripts of this and things like that, unless there was a more deeper connection to it. But like I'd grown up with James Bond, with Star Wars, with Disney movies. Right. And like, this is the only one where I'm just like, okay, I can relate to, to this, this, this ending. Right. Then that we'll go into in a little bit, but you know, I would wake up in the mornings and sometimes I wouldn't even rewatch the movie. I would, I would get up super early in the morning, go to uh, this other room where we had uh, a TV where we can just watch the VHS. I would turn the sound down so that my parents wouldn't know that I was rewatching it. And I would just fast forward to the end and I'd rewatch the ending or I'd, or, or I'd listen to the end credits. Cause I hadn't, this was before I got a hold of the soundtrack. So the only way I could listen to the Danny Elfman music was literally just fast forwarding all the way to the goddamn end okay. to listen to the music. And it, it's beautiful. And I honestly prefer it even more to the 89 soundtrack just because of it's, it's a beautiful set of themes. It's a little just, more fleshed out in yeah, some ways. Exactly. Yeah. The, yeah. I even uh, at one point I was part of a middle school play that was like a murder mystery theme. I wasn't an actor in it. I volunteered to play the music and the music I played was me using my ear to play the penguin and catwoman music okay. from Batman Returns. Okay. Nobody I don't think anybody knew that at the time, but it's not like this <laughs> shit was copyrighted. Like yeah, we, were just, right. we were just a local middle school play performing in front of the parents. So we weren't making any money off of anything. I but think I it's playing. fine. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that was that was Batman Returns for me growing up. And I always knew it was a little different from the other one, but I didn't mind that. And I think I just, it was, just, I had a personal connection to it and maybe it was more of a personal connection to this one than the 89 movie in retrospect. But that's how it was like for me. Uh, how was it like now? I guess, cause you hadn't seen the movie. I, I saw, I'd seen this movie in Christmas. So this was relatively mm. fresh in my mind. How was it for you? Cause I know you said it's been a while now that we've rewatched Man, this. I haven't watched this since. God, we might have watched it at Superhouse, the actual Superhouse in college. Oh, really? <laughs> Maybe. Mm-hmm. And I was drunk as hell, probably, because <laughs> it was college. Mm-hmm. Other than that, that's like one time. And then before that, it was when I was a kid. So it had been quite some time. And throughout this whole we, by the way, just like last time, we just watched this to get it fresh in our minds yeah, for the yeah. listener before we watched it, before we recorded, before mm-hmm. we're recording now. So we've just ended watching Batman Returns now and um, the whole time we were watching it I was just saying I don't remember that <laughs> I don't remember that <laughs> yeah I do remember this which I was which this. was great though because like obviously I I've, I remember it I've seen it over and over but to, to to see it with somebody who was like rediscovering it is always a treat yeah, for me yeah yeah um, it's interesting to see how you know like we said before you said before that you, you get to see Burton really have control mm-hmm. when he can really take the reins. You basically, this is what you get. You get Batman returns. So <laughs> right. like, it seems like no one said no to anything you wanted. It does feel like when a director does a Batman movie, it's his second one. That is like a little bit more his own signature or a little bit more. You have the in. power. Yeah. So Batman returns yeah. a little more Burtonish. Batman and Robin is more Schumacher unchained. Right. Dark Knight right. is more Nolan unchained. Batman versus Superman is more Snyder unchained. You know, like each right. each one and each incarnation, it feels like the first version is kind of a little bit more studio approved. Second right. one is a little bit more like, oh, like you did well this first time. We'll give you a little bit more free reign here. Right. Because as I was pointing out as we were watching it, I'm just like everything about it. It almost feels like it's a different type of continuity because there's a different mayor. There's a different Gotham City. It's not the Pinewood set. Right. They tore down the Pinewood set, unfortunately. Right. Uh, Anton first wasn't involved in this. Uh, he had committed suicide, sadly, in 1991 for 
unrelated, I mean, hopefully unrelated reasons. did this one everything's shot more on a, the Burbank uh, Warner Brothers lot I think um, I might have to fact check that later <laughs> but uh, everything's probably LA somewhere yeah, yeah. somewhere in LA uh, and everything and it, there's a different feeling to it and all that and it's it's almost its own continuity but it's a little bit more I think it's something it's a product that Burton I think was happier with and you can tell because it's a little it's a lot weirder there's a more of a supernatural element to both Penguin and Catwoman that you didn't really get with, I mean, the most that you got with Joker was the fact that he survived the chemical bath. But this one, right. you, got, you flat out have like a mutant penguin and a right. woman who's been, seems like resurrected by cats. It's a little ambiguous <laughs> whether or not that's, <laughs> yeah. that's really what it is. We can go into that a little bit. But When yeah. I was a kid, I really <laughs> thought that somehow the cat's licking her and her blood. Like cat, if a cat's tongue touched an open wound... That made you crazy or something. <laughs> like that was an, that was how, what I gathered from it when I was a kid. Right. I mean, I think as as I was telling you, the Halle Berry movie made it so that it was literally like this cat that goes around and and breathes life back into women who have been wronged, and things <laughs> like that, and tried to you know make some explanation for it, and has a picture of Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman in one scene, so it's technically could be considered to be in continuity but like it's 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 kind of ambiguous about whether they they played a role or if it's just a case where the awnings broke or fall and she just survived and the cats licking her just made her wake up you know maybe it was the fall more than the cats sort of thing that that made her that way well there's that joke from shrek is like i didn't know she had a brain to damage (laughs) right so they're sort of saying like she got some brain damage which Right, which so, you know, I think it's it's kind of all ambiguous, and Burton's just playing around with all of that. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, what we could do is we could just jump into. I mean, really, there are three villains in this movie. Uh, Let's start, do it. Yeah, so starting with you know the one who's not from the comics, who's Max Shrek. Okay, um, he's kind of forgotten in a way. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, yeah. you know, Catwoman and Penguin, but Shrek is kind of the most evil character. This whole he thing. really is. Yeah, it's watching this as an adult. That's yeah. really. I didn't really pick up on that when I was a kid, but watching right. now, like he is the true monster of this mm-hmm. whole thing. So let's see. I have a few things on him. Max Schreck um, this is kind of common IMDb trivia knowledge, but Max Schreck is named after the first actor to play Dracula. Oh, he, yeah. The, from Nosferatu and stuff. And so he's kind of got a vampire type nature to him. He wants a power plant that sucks the power uh, type of thing out of it. So, you know, Burton's very influenced by German expressionist films here. So yes. Nosferatu is tied to Max Schreck. Penguin's outfit looks like it's out of the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, that type right. of stuff. So, right. um, Shrek also, weirdly enough, you know, not to make this political, but he's a businessman with a New York accent with really weird hair with his name, right. last name on every fucking thing. Like, it does seem right. like he is a 1990s Trump parable yeah. in this. Yeah. Um, even Chip Shrek looks like Eric Trump today. 
Uh, where they, I don't think they would have <laughs> predicted that uh, type of thing. Um, one thing I want to clarify, and we're going to go into this a little bit more when we do the episode on the development, but a lot of people are saying that uh, in the original scripts, Max Shrek was Harvey Dent. Right. And okay. that, the, yeah. that Catwoman uh, sort of electrocuting him at the end would have caused him to discard. Wow. Uh, now, while that seems like a cool idea, if you think about it, that means that Harvey Dent would have been a monster the whole movie. Right. And worse than the other two. Uh, and also, it's complete bullshit because I can't find any evidence that it, that, that was actually true. Okay. Uh, Max Shrek was Max Shrek since Daniel Waters, the screenwriter, wrote the first draft and even talked about it. And we'll we'll just save it for the next episode. But even <laughs> even talked about having Harvey Dent uh, have a cameo in that. So if Dent was going to have a cameo while Shrek was still around, there was no possible way they could have been the same guy okay. in this. So. Even though it's kind of a cool idea when you first hear about it, it's not actually true, and I'm just tired of hearing people say that that was true because that's they it's, want it's it to not. be true so bad. They kind of want it because he's not somebody in the comics. So to hear that this guy who wasn't in the comics was originally going to be a comic character, yeah, is kind of it's intriguing for the comic book fan. For me, as I was telling Andrew, uh, Trek is more of a Rupert Thorne character than Carl Grissom was in '89. What was the uh, what was the what do you call it like the aversion to using an actual name Rupert Thorne like this happened twice now um well with Grissom I don't know I don't know where it came from uh maybe just Sam Ham wasn't super familiar with uh the Engelhart run compared to the producer uh for this one the quince the um the sort of parallels between him and Thorne feel almost more coincidental. I don't, I haven't heard anything that feels like it's deliberate parallel. Okay. However, uh, Rupert Thorne in the comics was introduced trying to get a power plant together. Okay. He has this whole mane of white silvery hair, right? He kills Hugo strange who comes back to haunt him sort of thing. Kind of like how Shrek quote unquote kills Selena and comes back to come back as Catwoman. Uh, he also, uh, in the Jerry Conway run came back and, put in his own candidate to be the mayor. Okay. Uh, who, and plotted with that mayor to frame Batman for a crime. Okay. So like almost everything Shrek does in this movie has been done by Rupert Thorne in the comics. It's just like, you got, you got it all there. Like, yeah. It, it, keep them exactly the same. Just change the name. Yeah. And then you got comic book Pretty fans much, yeah. loving even more, you know, yeah. it's just weird to me. It's even like the, with Grissom, Grissom in the 89 movie is just like, he's a mob boss. Everyone knows he's a mob boss. Yeah. Uh, but in the comics, Rupert Thorne was, part of the it was kind of like what i talked about in the mankowitz script he was uh, a well-known public figure okay whose sort of criminal activities were in the shadows and batman knew about it okay so very it's a lot more similar to max shrek than it is to carl grissom so i, I mean i haven't heard Englehart talk about max shrek be maybe he just didn't like the movie and doesn't want to claim credit for it but right to me max shrek is more rupert thorne than harvey dent or, or anyone else so right I, I'd say if there was ever a more comic booky parable, it would be uh, to Thorn Thorn to Shrek than than Harvey Dent or anyone else. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's see. In a way, the whole legitimate businessman uh, actually being a villain is kind of foreshadowing of what would happen to Penguin in the comics. Funny enough, okay, you know, with the whole iceberg lounge thing mm -hmm. and everything. So that sort of brings me to Penguin. Okay, because I think DeVito's performance, honestly, is, is underrated. We're, we're, yeah, we so yeah. we remember Nicholson as Joker. We talk about Pfeiffer a lot as Catwoman, deservedly so. We'll go into that. But DeVito really gives it his all in this. He went into the makeup and the prosthetics. Yeah, yeah. Puts on that voice. You can tell he's got to walk and the waddle. I mean, he loved he loved doing this. And you could tell he's having a shit ton of fun. 
they the, the lines that he has given to he mm -hmm. it's just th those kind of lines that where he can just chew this fucking scenery yeah you know just really Absolutely. lean into it and he he does such a great job and like i was kind of freaked out by him you know rightfully so i guess as mm -hmm. a kid but to see this as an adult I, I i could see the performance a lot better yeah now and yeah he's he's really good in this movie and i i agree he's he's underrated i, I also think the penguin characterization kind of gets a bad rap because everyone's yeah. so used to the business gentleman businessman type version from the iceberg lounge but if you look back at some of the older comics like the idea of penguin using birds even like penguins with missiles strapped on their backs yeah or um having some sort of supernatural element to them that's still there's a still tie to that in the comics there's versions where uh penguin can be able to survive sub-zero temperature where batman yeah. can't yeah sort of thing it's not really said that he's a mutant or anything like that he's not as disfigured in the comics as he is in this movie yeah but it's it's not that far removed. It's not that much of a reinvention that people say. It's more of an exaggeration. I, I think when we talked about we talked about Penguin in that one episode when we were speculating about Penguin being in the Matt Reeves version. Oh yeah, and it was kind of I kind of brought up how he, or maybe I did, maybe I didn't. But one of the one of the core aspects was that he's somebody who kind of wants to be accepted into society. Someone who's always been an outcast. Every single version of the Penguin origin has had to deal with some sort of bullying because of his appearance or being called names, being called penguin. Uh, that whole like thing, that. like you dress up as a freak, but I really am a freak. That's the, yeah, that's a really good line near the end of the movie where I think is definitely inspired by that. Those core concepts of the character. Mm -hmm. And it really like, it's kind of strikes a chord with you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he is, it's, it's almost the first, I might be wrong on this, but if I look back, this might be the first time we got a sympathetic comic book villain. Because mm. Joker wasn't really, Lex Luthor, not really, there weren't a lot of superhero movies at the time. Gene Hackman? Yeah, the Gene Hackman, like, like there was nothing, you didn't really get much into his motivations. Right. This one, it was like, I was dumped as a baby, I was abandoned. Right. And some part of you almost feels like if Shrek didn't, it's a little ambiguous about whether or not, if Shrek didn't propose the mayor thing, and with the idea of him loot having the Red Triangle Circus gang loot around town, would Penguin have just sort of lived as an ordinary citizen who was just more respected by people just because he set up the whole, like, not saying that he would have been a good guy because he still set that up and he was still capable of murder and everything right. like that. Uh, but th there's always been certain storylines where Penguin is all up into criminal, into crime and everything until he falls in love or until he feels love and then he stops sort of thing uh, and i feel like there's a little bit of an element of that in this it's it's small and it's and he's still you know even though he's sympathetic he's still pretty much a monster and he's a complete pervert and everything he's groping women all over the place and this is not dude, let's talk about that for <laughs> just a quick second um before we move on to catwoman especially yeah. mm -hmm. uh this is a factor of the film that i didn't remember at all yep <laughs> uh because i was young i guess but the penguin in this is a total fucking perv. Yep. There's a lot of lines. It's a big part of his motivations for doing things. Unlimited poontang. Yeah, is unlimited poontang <laughs> is a fucking line from Max Shrek to Penguin in this movie to motivate him. To motivate him, which look, it's obviously it's a very believable motivator. <laughs> so that's cool. But God, I just it's just forgot about this entirely. Yep, entirely. So he he is pretty much he's like the visual version of the sort of beastly side of like guys of the manosphere sort of like yeah. you know 
just out to get laid and everything. Right. And has this ugly like you you can see it from the scene where Catwoman rejects him and he just automatically is just like, I'm gonna kill you now. It's yeah. just like you know, yeah. just like on online dating where like girl says sorry i'm not interested or texas you i'm right. not interested and suddenly right. the guy's like you fucking bitch you fat yeah. fuck like you know like that's not that's not fucking <laughs> that's not how you're supposed to do it penguins but, like, an incel. penguins an insult <laughs> so that, that's how it is batman's the chat so <laughs> batman's a chat oh my god <laughs> with catwoman's a stacy <laughs> with this it's it, there's elements of it that i think get overlooked because people are like oh like penguin shouldn't be this disfigured i'm like Really, like in the in the comics, like he's still supposed to look out there. He's supposed to have the big nose and be fat and everything. And I mean, and, when you mix and, up like Burgess Meredith's Penguin mm-hmm. with Burton style, to me, maybe it's because I grew up with it. But it's just like this is a natural evolution of a of events. I right. think. Yeah. So to me, I, I I feel like the mutated Penguin is as much of a reinvention that still kind of stays true to stuff. Yeah. As the Heath Ledger Joker was where in both cases, both guys were more sort of disfigured or uglier than what they were portrayed in the comics. Yet you still sort of stay true to the core of it. Even if the appearance wasn't the same, Um, you know, as a pure comic purist, obviously I prefer the the more comic book look, but the, for what this was and, you know, only Tim Burton could bring this type of version to life. So I don't really mind it. blood on his teeth and the black <laughs> shit coming out of his teeth bile, and all yeah. that the bile like that was like honestly i think that's one of the coolest parts about him the whole mm-hmm. penguin's mouth i guess in this movie man it was just really done well it's 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 horrifying and it makes him more like monstrous yeah you know and oh another thing cool like character thing that i could notice now that i'm a grown-ass man penguin's lines are to me are this kind of combination of he'll say something kind of graceful mm-hmm. and kind of beautiful but then it's followed up by something sleazy as hell yeah yeah you know it's this combination of those elements uh what does he say something like crud from the sewer or something but before that line he would have kind of like more Maybe not beautiful, but like a little bit nicer it is, dialogue. It is an interesting mix because the penguin in the comics is very much like he quotes Shakespeare and Keats all the time and things right, like that. And right. I think this was a this reinvention sort of made it where he would go back and forth. He goes between, you know, trying to be someone who sounds like he's well respected and rich yeah, and everything yeah. like that and, and true to his his, you know, biological roots, yet also still very much the monster who 
you know, was found in the sewer type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there is sort of, everyone's kind of like, this is ridiculous. He was raised by penguins in the sewer. That's not fucking realistic. How does he learn to write and read and all this shit? Well, yeah, here's no. the thing everybody misses is that, yes, um, penguins, it does, the baby carriage does get to penguins at the end of that sequence. I can't deny that. However, like, there is that Batcave sequence where Bruce Wayne is reading the Red Triangle Circus's history and oh, mentions yeah. that one of them was an aquatic bird boy. Oh, right. And right. that the, one of the members, who's presumably that aquatic bird boy, fled before Penguin, I mean, before the police could question him. Okay. So to me, that means Penguin wasn't raised by the penguins. He was raised by that circus. Right. Which makes a lot more sense. Right. Uh, if, if anything, maybe that sequence should have ended with the, the circus finding him or something like that. That probably right. would have made more sense. But yes, yeah, some, some clowns discover him in uh, like a Moses it would have, manger, yeah. like deranged Moses. It is yeah. a deranged Moses. Because remember, he also wants to kill the firstborn sons. Yeah, a lot of biblical stuff going on here. Right? There, Yeah. And it's it, it's I was always fascinated by the references in this movie, like what other subtext and stuff. And I, I did a deep dive into all that where. You know, he's he's the twisted Moses who instead of going, you know, being saved and everything and being found by the Egyptian palace, he's being found, you know, in the sewer by penguins and, and that. And he almost becomes the plague um, at the end. There's even a shot of um, some say it's Tim Burton and I don't I've never verified it. But uh, before you see Selena in the ballroom, you see a guy with a skull mask dressed like the mask of the Red Death from the Edgar Allan Poe oh, yeah. story. And that is about somebody who shows up at a party to foreshadow the plague coming. Oh, wow. And of course, the one of the plagues, biblically, I think, was the death of all of the firstborn sons. Yeah, that um, actually wasn't a plague. This is the southern in me coming out, now, okay, knowing yeah. the Bible. Uh, you know it better than me, so I don't, so I don't know. It was one of the things. You're that you're in the right ballpark. Yeah. What happens is there's there's plagues, but then there's this final thing. Yeah. Where the, literally, as far as I remember, the Holy Ghost himself or itself goes and kills the firstborn. Yeah, there's sons. something going on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. But the idea of that, and that wasn't even in the original version. Wesley Strick, who was one of the, he's the uncredited writer on this, was the one who who came up with that. And it, it sort of adds a, a sort of sinister undercurrent to it when you rewatch it, because you see in the beginning, he goes to the Hall of Records to find out like who his parents are. And Batman's like, I think he already knows who his parents are. And so yeah, like, yeah. why is he still in the Hall of Records? Because he's jotting down the names of all the firstborn sons. Uh, and then later on, you know, when Shrek is like, hey, like, let's be mayor. There's a moment where Penguin's like, well, wait a minute, I don't, I've got other things to do. And think because he still wants to 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 keep going with that that's presumably right. the plan until shrek promises unlimited poontang but that's a whole other issue <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then uh you know catwoman sort of takes a peek like it's thrown throughout the movie and catwoman takes a look and she's like you already have a list of enemies and he's like that list is not meant to be like looked at so like it's like was that always his plan was that something was that his mo was that something that he did at the circus because remember there's that, that that newspaper article about the circus that i think talks about the kids being kidnapped too so Okay. It could just be his MO that's darkly like I'm killing all the firstborn sons of everything because, you know, they I didn't get a good chance to live, so neither should anyone he else. He wants to end the aristocracy in Gotham essentially, right? Right, yeah. He wants all these fucking rich fucks to die. That's essentially what Which it is. It's an interesting MO for this character that I don't think has ever really been done uh in other versions at least in terms of ending the aristocracy usually most versions of the penguin want to become the aristocracy and always finding himself short because he's a criminal or because nobody accepts him for what he looks like um this but this one i think 
he's like he always varies in between on the edge where just like you know maybe he wants to do that right he, but like deep down what he really wants is to be accepted so whenever he feels right. loved and accepted that's really why he wants to be the mayor mm-hmm. not because he really gives a shit about running gotham i think it's more just because he likes being respected and loves likes being loved after being called you know a freak or being treated like a freak for his whole life and that creates an interesting sympathetic dimension that's i think more interesting than just him being some fat dude who can control birds for his crimes and steal stuff, you know, with interesting, uh, uh, umbrellas. Yes. Yes. Parasols. Yeah. So that's, uh, I think this penguin is, is underrated and you know, if penguin is in the Matt Reeves version, I'm pretty sure he'll be a different take, but he'll have big shoes to fill with Danny DeVito. Just like I imagine, you know, Anne Hathaway felt in filling Michelle Pfeiffer's shoes for Catwoman. It's gonna be interesting, and also, I mean, he's got the Robin Lord Taylor version, which is like that guy put his stamp on he did, on he, the character too, you know. Yeah, my issues with that one though is that like the umbrellas never really became a gadget thing. But as far as a performance, uh, yeah, and, like being sympathetic yeah, yeah, and yeah, things yeah. like that. Yeah, no, absolutely, and you you could tell that love was also another aspect to that version of the character where he. He wanted to feel that he even you know thought he was in love with Riddler at one point. Like it's all very much based around. Is he like bisexual in Gotham? Um, he might be. Uh, it's never really said of whether or not he's interested in any girl. So he might actually just be homosexual. The, um, like that's how the penguin is thought of today. Well, I don't know if that's he definitely is today. Not I think that's no, 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 no. <laughs> Devito is very much. He's very much the incel trying to go after girls yeah. and stuff. But like yeah. Robin Lord Taylor is, you know, is gay himself and okay. it probably yeah. was some. And so was the I, I believe the actor playing Riddler in Gotham is also gay. So I think that was sort of an element that um, they thought would be unique to their version. Uh, Why not, man? Put your stamp so on it. That was that was their stamp. There's a beautiful scene um, in the final season where Riddler decides, you know, I'm going to put my stamp on the city and Penguin's like, I'm also going to put my stamp on the city. And they're like, you know, shall we shake on it? And when both of them both have knives hiding behind their backs <laughs> and they go to hug each other to make this agreement and they both rise, raise up their hands about to stab each other, but they stop. And it's almost like this feeling of trust that like, okay, he's not trying to kill me. Mm-hmm. Maybe I shouldn't try to kill him sort of feeling. Yeah. And they break and then they're like, shall we begin? And oh, that's, that's what cool. causes this. That's so that, cool. that's it's a beautiful scene. And somebody, I loved it. I, I have this as one of my favorites. I love it when they do this. Somebody actually put the Batman Returns music over it. Oh shit! And it's it, it's even more beautiful. But that's anyway, awesome. I'm on a tangent, but the love the tangent. The Gotham Penguin is very much based around trying to feel love and stuff. That's why, like, you know, when his mother gets killed in the second season, he goes on a rampage. His father, who's also played by Paul Rubens, yeah, uh, when his father dies and season afterwards he goes on another like he it, it's he almost goes on the straight and narrow and is willing to go on the straight and narrow once he's feels loved and respected but once that is taken away from him he can turn into a complete monster so i, I like that idea i'd like it I'd, i would like it to be paired up with more traditional elements though so like as i said like the umbrellas never really went anywhere there was no gadget umbrellas there was also weirdly enough even though he was called the penguin there was no bird theme there's no he didn't do anything with birds or anything it's like, that. like, so it's like in that one it's like a dick tracy but even less so like it's just like a um like a crime boss alias really it doesn't because he has the waddle right yeah that's yeah. it mm-hmm. 
Hey everybody, it's Andrew. I just wanted to tell you about our friend Israel's retro gaming shop, RetroCo. If you go to retro-ko.com, you'll be able to see all of his retro gaming goodies. If you wanted to get that Sega Saturn hidden gem from back in the day, or if you wanted to get the Famicom disc system that you never got as a kid, or any other type of retro game that you were into, or uh, import game, please go to RetroCo.com. That's Retro-KO.com. And if you use the Superhouse code Johnson's Ballsack, you'll be able to get a little bit of a discount at checkout. So please, once again, if you could just go to RetroCo.com, you can also go to Facebook.com slash RetroCo with no hyphen. That's R-E-T-R-O-K-O. You'll be able to find him on Facebook as well. If you were looking for that PlayStation import game that you never got, if you were looking for that Mega Drive game that you never got, or any other kind of retro game, any import game, it could even be European. Israel also curates bundles at RetroCo, and he'll curate that bundle just for you. So please, go check him out. If you put in the code Johnson's Ballsack at checkout, you'll receive a Superhouse discount. So that's it's kind of like that, and also, you know, people tell me you look just like a penguin, but the problem is, I'm just like, well, he's a little, he's a little thin to be called that, but like, I, I get penguin. it, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily mind it if they do a thin penguin for the Matt Reeves movie, but I also, you know, think that they can go traditional, and you know, have their cake and eat it too type of thing, where they can do put their own stamp on the character while dealing with the traditional elements, of right? It. So, shall we go into Catwoman? Let's do it. The MVP of this movie. Yeah, the MVP. So uh, as I said um, earlier uh, to Andrew, I was like, you know, a lot of people, when they talk about Joker, at least before Heath Ledger, they're just like, oh, like, how are you going to beat Nicholson? I'm like, well, they should have been worried about Pfeiffer. How do you beat Michelle Pfeiffer? Because she's amazing in this movie. She probably has the best, you know, pre-Ledger Batman villain performance. In all honesty, she puts everything into this, just the way she plays Selena to Selena after the accident to being in the costume, the way she changes her voice, the body language and everything. Um, all the weird sacrifices that she made. I was telling Andrew, she actually did put that bird into her mouth. Yeah, that's incredible. Movie. incredible. Um, she did take uh, whip classes uh, and was the one who took off the heads in that in that uh, store scene. Uh, also, shout out to Kathy Long, who was her trainer in the kickboxing as well as her stunt double, Kathy Long is uh, trained in Kung Fu Sun Tzu, which is the style that I'm being trained in. Nice. Uh, for unrelated reasons. I didn't realize there was that connection until much later, but uh, that's cool. The, it's, uh, it's sort it's of a type of Kung Fu. It is. A, yeah, it is a type that I feel like is more practical than, than regular Kung Fu that deals with, you know, more self-defense type stuff. But yeah, I yeah. imagine, uh, Kathy Long has been trained in a whole bunch of different styles. So she, um, I don't know if she taught her Sansu so much because Sansu is less of a showy thing that you can use in movies. Right. As more of a practical, like, how can I cause as much pain as possible type of thing? Right. It's not right, something right. you'd really be doing on a movie set to another person. Um, some interesting trivia I think you should like, you'd probably like to know. Um, I, I mean, you already knew this, but uh, because I said this so in the last episode, but um, Annette Benning was the original choice for Catwoman until she got pregnant. That was the biggest shock, I think, to me <laughs> in the last episode that we did. Right. Um, well, I'm going to shock you even more because uh, Pfeiffer 
was this was not her first time being up for a role as Batman's love interest. When Sean Young fell off the horse and everything, Michelle Pfeiffer's name was batted around, and the person who against it, who was against it at the time, was Michael Keaton, because that was his ex girlfriend. Oh, Pfeiffer was Pfeiffer was his ex girlfriend. Holy shit! Yeah, uh, I read about this before that ep- before we recorded that episode, but I wasn't sure about the validity of it until Robert Wool, who played Alexander Knox, um, recently said that 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 was true, that that was the case. And Holy shit! So Pfeiffer was kind of seemed like she was already in the back of Burton's head or somebody's head who was working behind the scenes is like she'd be good to put into a Batman movie. Um, and it was originally up for Vicky Vale to replace Sean Young until they, they settled on Kim Basinger because Basinger was the basically among one of the actresses who was, you know, a leading lady who could fly over to London at a minute's notice. Right. Uh, for that. And, uh, you know, she did, she did well with that, but Fiverr, you know, blows everyone else out of the water when it comes to right. performances in this. And I'm guessing that whatever happened between her and Keaton, um, you know, with time passed, he was a little bit more okay with it for this one. Right. Um, you can kind of feel this sort of awkward yet smoldering chemistry with them that's partially performance, but I also think part of it's real life. So they're probably bringing some of that to the table. Yeah. 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 So it, it is cool to see, but um, she's amazing in this role. Um, yes. Funny enough, that last shot with her in uh, the movie was a last minute addition. There was not uh, supposed to be a last shot of Catwoman. She was supposed to be said to be dead. But the last minute, last minute they said, we should make sure she should show up to be alive. Uh, Pfeiffer wasn't available. So that's actually not Michelle Pfeiffer looking up at the bat. What? Signal. Really? Nope. That's <laughs> not Michelle it? Pfeiffer. It might actually be Kathy Long. I'll have to take a look. But it, it's someone else standing <laughs> in for her because they wanted to say that she was alive because they wanted to give her her own spinoff. Yeah, she I mean, her own yeah. spinoff movie. Um, that would have been directed by Tim Burton and written by Daniel Waters, who wrote this version was of her. Was Burton on for that? He really he was, wanted he to was do into it. it? He wanted to do it, and Pfeiffer wanted to play it, and there was a script that was written that we'll cover in a future episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> hence, and hence, hence. that was the... Originally, that was going to be how they followed up Batman Returns, and it just fell into development hell for years until they kept rewriting and rewriting it, and then it turned into the Halle Berry Bat Catwoman movie. Or kind of pretty much got bastardized. Degradation. Yeah. <laughs> a degradation. So in the future episode, I'll be covering the original version of what that Catwoman um, version would have been. And it's kind of the closest we would have seen to a Tim Burton follow up to this movie. Right. You know, because he didn't. This is the last time that he touched Batman. Which looking back, is kind of crazy because I mean, do you have any numbers on the on the box office? This was still a hit, right? It was still a hit, but I don't think it was a. 89 i think the the thing is i don't think it was because of the box office it was more that the toys right it was because of toys because you know this is the not so common secret in hollywood that like you don't really the money isn't doesn't really come from the box office it comes from all the toys and the merchandising especially with superhero shit yeah yeah profit margin on painted plastic figures is humongous so when you take your kids to a movie and Penguin's out to get unlimited poontang and is <laughs> and is spitting out black bile out of his mouth. And hey, I dying. had several Batman Returns toys. <laughs> I don't think I had the Penguin, but I had the Penguins. I had Battle Penguins, I remember. As I was telling Andrew, I'm pretty sure my Penguin from McDonald's was not the Danny DeVito Penguin. I think they sold the traditional comic book version to try to distance themselves after they saw this movie and they're like, holy shit, this is what? <laughs> so, yeah, this was Burton with his power. But the thing is, though, 
playing the long game, even though maybe it made less money. Mm-hmm. Burton made two solid Batman installments. Yes, looking did. back, like he fucking did it up. This is to his credit. This is some good shit, man. Yeah, you know, there's. I mean, there's not much you can say bad about this movie. In my opinion, no. I mean, a lot of people can be like, "Oh, it's cheesy. Look at all the penguins and everything." And, and <laughs> okay, but I'm well, just yeah. like, that shit's awesome. Yeah, but I mean, not to not to you know crap on Nolan or anything, but like after watching so many of the realistic Batman stuff, to go back to a time when Penguin had trick umbrellas and was using yes, birds for his yes. crimes and stuff, and Catwoman had like was actually called Catwoman, and they had a cat motif and a reason for the yeah. cat motif and the whip and everything. I'm just like, this is. This is how it feels like it's it, it's it's it feels right. See, that's a, that's the thing that you, know, you notice more as an adult too is that like Burton really was to Uslan's credit, uh, he really was the perfect choice for this time because he could pull off this heightened comic book atmosphere, but combine it with that macabre sense mm-hmm. with a sense of humor as well, which really was. Uh, kind of what a batman movie needed at the time two mm-hmm. two batman movies like yeah definitely not realistic but still dark enough for adults to enjoy right you know yeah. so it was like i don't know it's like so perfect i think mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's he was the right director for this. And obviously, you know, my, you know, our lives would be very different if he hadn't done that, because without right. these movies, we wouldn't have had this exposure to the character. Uh, in a way, we wouldn't have the animated series. We wouldn't have the Marvel Cinematic Universe, probably. No, no, of course not. Like this movie really was a huge turning point for comic book movies. Yeah, I think Jake Gyllenhaal recently said not this one, but the 89 Batman is among his still one among one of his favorites of all, all time in terms of um, comic book movies. I'm sure it's many people's. Yeah. 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 So it, I'm sure that was in an interview for uh, far from home or something. Yeah. 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 Uh, still shame that he wasn't Batman, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> ben and I were on board for that, by the way. Yes. Listeners. If you hadn't listened to previous episodes, uh, yeah. but this is, this is the Catwoman to beat. Not Holly bear. I mean, Anne Hathaway did what she could, but like after watching dark Knight rises, I'm just like, nah, Pfeiffer's still, the queen of this just because like she has such an interesting characterization the cat suit makes sense because she's like mocking shrek in a way in her terms of her revenge plan against him also um it's like people might find the whole thing weird but the original version of the catwoman origin was that she was an air stewardess who fell out of a plane <laughs> and had some sort of amnesia <laughs> sort of thing from it <laughs> and just suddenly decided to be go crazy. So I'm like, okay, if that was the comic book origin at the time, at least with what the writers grew grew up with, yeah, I don't really mind this version. Um, the more recent ones, recent to this movie at least, had variations on the theme of her being wronged by the men in her life, either an ex husband or her boss. If you guys had read uh, Year One, uh, there's she has a pimp named Stan 
Stan the Pimp <laughs> oh my God. Uh, in a separate storyline. was so like she was a, a prostitute then? Yeah, yeah, as, as you see it in year one. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's they expanded right, right, on that yeah. in some of the Catwoman comics, and she dons the Catwoman outfit inspired by Batman to fight him off. Um, just like Ca- the Catwoman. This one is sort of inspired by seeing Batman after he saves her from in that hostage situation. Yeah. So it, it's even though, yes, it's not technically comic book canon to have her shoved out of a window and, and revived by cats. It is the theme is still there, just like with, with Penguin, the themes of him being an outcast and wanting to be part of society and also wanting to get revenge on society yeah. at the same time. All those themes are still intact. They're just done through a different lens. They're just done in a different way. It's not bastardization of it. The only thing that could make her more Catwoman is the fact that, I don't know if you noticed this, Catwoman doesn't steal anything in this movie. That is true. That is true. Um, to be fair, it wouldn't really make sense with this version, but like she is known as to be a thief. You know, because Catwoman, Cat Thief, and, cat and all burglar. that. So it, it is kind of odd to see that. Just like in, as we'll cover in Batman Forever, Riddler doesn't actually use any riddles for his crimes. Right. Yeah. So it, it is kind of weird to see, but also, like, you kind of have to think about it. The store sequence kind of feels like it's a heist, but it's not really. Yeah. Yeah. She's just That's there to blow it up. That. Yeah. Yeah. But, but she doesn't actually take anything with her. Um, so that's, yeah, that's sort that's of right. one of the sort of minor things that I noticed about this Catwoman that not a lot of people talk about. Um, I'm going to go into rankings unless you can think of anything else. You want well, to let's, let's, I want to talk about Catwoman a little more. Sure. Uh, yeah. Pfeiffer, like you said, really is the MVP of this movie. Mm-hmm. Keaton's there. He's doing a great job. Uh, you know, he's definitely being Batman again, but right. I guess it's just that, you know, it's like how, um, like I said before, Heath Ledger sort of outshines um, Bale. Bale in Dark Knight. This is sort of what happens here in her own way. Uh, and this is the first time probably ever up to this point when this movie came out where you saw like this kind of like dark uh, villainous yeah. type of character. Mm-hmm. She's like whipping fools and fucking, um, you know, stabbing Batman in the gut and shit. Like <laughs> this is like <laughs> and she, you know, with her get up and the whip too. This is also something you don't notice when you're a kid, but there's like a little bit of BDSM thing going on there. Mm-hmm. You know, she's very much into like pain is pleasure, pleasure is pain kind of thing. It seems like that's part of the something under the surface. But anyway, yeah. Pfeiffer's performance. You can't say enough like this shit was fucking incredible. It holds up. It's a kind of heightened performance where it would be classified as overacting in another movie. Mm-hmm. But this is a comic book movie directed by Tim Burton and it fits perfectly in this type of tone of film. And, uh, honestly, the most normal person in this movie feels like Batman. Yes, that's true. The only person who seems like he's kind of an average dude compared to everyone else. Everyone else is more over the top. They really heightened how crazy she is Mm -hmm. in this. And you've said off, off the air, but just for the listener real quick, like, she really was never quite that insane in the comics before this, right? Not really. I mean, there was a villain, more villainous side to her than what people are used to today, where she's more of a sort of love interest that's kind of in the gray area that you kind of saw in like the Dark Knight Rises and stuff that's in the current Rebirth run where, you know, they got engaged and shit like that. But like for a long time, she was a straight out villainous. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and everything just like in the 60s show. And, so she wasn't gray at all at the time. She was just straight were, up. Yeah. I mean, the gray villain. areas would be like, 
somebody, some thug would want to kill Batman, and she'd be like, "No," and they're like, "Well, why?" And he's like, "Well, you don't, you, you don't want the cops like to put a murder rap on us, even though like oh, right, he was her right. like trying to justify it." And meanwhile, Batman would like do something where he'd be like, mm, uh, "Like maybe I'm not going to run so fast after her. Maybe I should let her go," type of thing. So like, it was, okay. it, it was that type of back and forth. But it was never one where it never you never really got the idea that she had, um, like severe psychological issues outside of the amnesia stuff that I just told you about where, right. you know, she got, she fell out of a plane and suddenly became, wanted to become a super criminal or something. In this movie, it's like, she's kind of like a deranged serial killer type, you know, maybe not quite that dark, but it's sort not, of, it seems inspired by that kind of thing. A little bit. I mean, she's more focused. She's focused to get revenge on Shrek and she, right. she is sort of a representation of the, you know, the woman who's been victimized by men and mistreated and seen as like only good for making their coffee and being right, in the kitchen and right. shit like that. And you know, she, that's why she criticizes that one woman when she saves the woman, right. she's not like, Oh, you know, be safe. You know, like some other hero, she's just like, you know, you're pathetic trying to wait for some Batman to save you. Right. Type right. of thing. And it's, it, it sort of speaks to, it still feels like it's relevant today uh, in a way. It's a very nineties way of doing it, but it, it still feels like it, it's the ideas behind the characters still feel like they're relevant. Yeah. I mean, the only thing more nineties is the fucking CD that they pull out. <laughs> DJ they, Bruce in the back. Game. And, and they, 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 they pull it out. Like it's like the coolest tech of all time too. When they pull out the CD, it's just a normal ass fucking CDR looking thing. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, yeah. Don't forget the bat symbol that's on the player, the bat symbol <laughs> on the player. I mean, we all wanted that shit. Yeah. Um, Okay, let's go to rankings. All right, rankings. So uh, we're going to do this at the end of every Batman movie that we review until we get through all of the, at least all the live action Warner Brothers ones. I don't know if we'll get around to watching the 1940s serials or the Adam West stuff, but we'll at least I watch would not the... be against it <laughs> at all. We, we'll, we'll see. But oh, by the way, now. we haven't talked about this at all. This is Which me one? doing yeah. this right during the air, but I would <laughs> like, let's do Mask of the Phantasm. Yes. Uh, and I have, I have the Blu-ray right here. I have the script for it, too. Oh, nice. Well, that's going to happen, listeners. Okay, yeah, we'll do we'll do Mask of Phantasm certainly, um, and we could do probably some of the other animated movies too, the, the ones that we the ones that we liked. Not, not Under every the Red Hood, yeah, fucking incredible, yeah, absolutely. Um, but we're going to rank at least the live action ones for now. Yeah, so we're doing uh, uh, just the first four in the nineties right now. Uh, I mean, we will. I think we'll rank it as we go along. So, so now we're just ranking two movies. We'll just rank two movies. Okay. Uh, and as we get further along, we'll be ranking the movies as well as maybe the Batman's as well in terms of the ah uh, okay so, okay gotcha, gotcha. Uh, as well as like any of the characters. So like, who do you prefer more, Five or Hathaway? I think we know the answer to that. But still, like that'd be an example of like <laughs> yeah you know, us ranking the different versions now that we, they're more fresh in our minds. So, uh, <clears throat> Batman 89 versus Batman returns, which do you feel is the better movie? I think overall, overall still 89. Mm. And the reason for that is just the Joker's just cool as fuck, man. <laughs> this one is not too far behind it. Mm -hmm. And it's cool to see Burton get, go full Burton. Um, but there's something about maybe about like the ending set pieces to the action scenes, like the bat plane, uh, taking the balloons and going in the sky and then you get the big ass gun that should have been a tank and mm -hmm. you know and then you got the fucking fight on the bell bell tower and shit something about that it really is cathartic you really kind of get what you want yeah out of that whereas this one they're they're fighting in a sewer and it doesn't f feel it's still good 
but it's just I don't know. It not, it's not quite as big as the first one. Mm-hmm. I like I like the the big spectacle of the ending, the parade and everything of the first movie yeah. quite a lot. And like Joker's performance, hard to beat, man. I know Catwoman's fucking awesome in this movie, but mm. Nicholson's Joker, like, I'm glad you're dead and scenes <laughs> like that. I fucking eat that shit up, dude. Mm. So it's still 89. Mm. Um, Honestly, Uh-oh. I'm liking this one. You like I'm this li- one more? I like this one more. Okay. I had a better time watching this one, rewatching this one with you than I did with 89. I don't know how much to I'm going to preface this by saying I don't know how much of that is just because I saw 89 so much that yeah, as I said yeah. in that episode like yeah. it's it's almost has no effect on me anymore when I rewatch yeah. it. Yeah. So that could be part of it but also I just feel like from a I mean from in terms of an adaptation of the character and cultural impact 89 all the way like it it, it feels right. and breathes like Batman whereas this one feels like more of a Burton movie with a lot of experimental stuff in it. Burton movie with Batman in it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and people have said that a lot and and I agree with it. However, like the Catwoman arc, the performance there, the depth of character to her and the, the motivations to her and, and Penguin and the interplay with that is just, there's something rich to that that I, I, I feel like is not there with the 89 movie. It would have been there if they adapted the, more of the script that we, we talked about, the ham version, but yeah, there it does feel like there's an actual, there's more of a story to this one to me. Um, whereas yes, the other I one, see, see whereas yeah. the other one, it felt more like the original story got stripped further and further by studio interference. Yeah, this one yeah. felt more; it feels more of Burton's vision, what he actually wants to do with it. And even though it might not feel as close of an adaptation of Batman, I, it does feel like more of a movie to me than the other. Like, and, and it could also just because I know a lot of the behind the scenes shit. So, like, it's difficult for me to rewatch Batman '89 now knowing all the stuff that could have been and all right. the stuff that's like okay that's studio interference right there that shouldn't have happened blah 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 mm-hmm. like this improvised scene whereas this one i i'm i'm usually not really thinking about that i can just sit back and relax and watch batman fight catwoman and, and penguin even though i've seen this like a million <laughs> times so uh for me i'm actually going to rank batman returns above batman 89 might be controversial to some but for now that's where i it. think that it's less controversial than you might expect yeah, a lot of maybe. people really love this movie and i think a gotham set at christmas time too mm, there's something yeah, so nice about that it really works like a gotham in summer man it just wouldn't work as well you need that fucking cold oh, yeah. uh atmosphere of gotham at night you know the snow and everything it's fucking works so well you know i'm sure they could work a summer gotham in some way or another but mm-hmm. but like I think that was really a, a genius move on their part to to include that as part of the, the background. Also, the idea of like the lonely dark night, almost like finding love and losing love during Christmas time is just kind of there's something yes, beautiful. There's to that. a loneliness to Christmas that a lot of people have because there's so much emphasis on family, right? And then with people that don't have the family, they feel more alone. So uh, that factor. It, I think it really works. It really works. It here. works for this one, especially yeah. with that ending. I feel like the ending is just, it, it's beautiful. As I said, like I, I related to it as a kid. And for a while, this was my favorite Christmas movie to watch. Not because it's better than Die Hard or, or Wonderful Life or any of the other traditional yeah. ones, but it was, it was one that like I got the feeling of it. So like it, it's, it's partially why maybe in my mind, it's still my preference between this and 89, even though, you know, the kid in me loves both.
Yeah, um, Batman sure. Phantom, he loves both. Uh, but if I were to rank, if I were to pick which one to rewatch, it would have to be this one. As like an ending thing, mm-hmm. it seems like we're ending here soon in a minute. Sure. But so there's that masquerade, the yes. masquerade, as he says. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it seems like that might have been a bigger deal in, in earlier scripts, and maybe the wood can hint at this for later. But the whole thing about like I'm tired of wearing a mask. Mm. That whole—it just seems like that's such a thematic thing, and that might might have been a bigger deal, especially with Bruce's arc. Because once again, right, yeah. you have like Bruce's arc more or less to the sidelines. He's yeah. I mean, the the criticism is valid, even though Keaton is one of the strongest Batman we've had. He's also the most passive <laughs> in terms yeah, of being yeah. a protagonist. He doesn't like all the action is is driven by Penguin, Catwoman, and Shrek. Right, really, he doesn't really right. do much, but the idea of he's tired of masks is there's sort of an undercurrent of that's not quite explored, uh, and I guess we didn't really talk about Batman. That just shows how much he's in this movie. We yeah, talked about all so the, much in the in the monsters, yeah. Um, but it, it's like ever since Vicky left him, it sort of feels like he's gotten more and more lost in terms of who Batman is. You know, when we first meet him, he's not at some party and he sees the bat signal. He's not at Wayne enterprise. He's back. He is in the study and he's even gone to the point where he's got the bat signals on the roof and everything. It's it's right. He's waiting to be called. That's right. that's what it feels like. Yeah. Um, and then there's other little moments that was expanded on in the script. But you know, when he, he tells Selena like, Oh, I mistook me for someone else. Yeah. Or where he like flat out just tells Max Shrek, "Yeah, you're working with a crime boss named Cobble." Like he, he, it's like he stopped caring about Bruce Wayne being a facade anymore. Okay. He's getting a little careless with the secret identity sort of thing, um, and that's explored a little bit more in the original draft of this. But it's an interesting arc that doesn't quite go anywhere because then it gets sort of interrupted by the Catwoman arc by the end, where it's about like trying to stop her from killing Shrek, which. Seems a little contradictory considering what did the Joker. Are they hinting at stuff like was something lost in an earlier draft where he says he's tired of wearing a mask? So is he getting tired of being Batman or anything like that? Or I think it's just he's unhappy with his life and feels like he. It's there's an undercurrent. We'll explore this in the upcoming episode, but there's there's a feeling that he's questioning why he's still Batman if the city of Gotham doesn't deserve it. Wow, that that's is some a, fucking awesome shit. That's that's, that's a good arc. It's not he in thinks the, movie. the city of Gotham does not deserve. Well, look him. at it. They worship Penguin and everything. They right. immediately when they he gets framed, they immediately think that he's he's the bad guy and stuff. Right, he's right, like, why the right. fuck am I doing this sort of type of stuff? So that's that explored a lot more in the original Daniel Waters draft. It's an interesting thing, but again, it doesn't really like. There's not really a resolution to it. Right. Um, right as right, you see right. in the movie, like he then is now all about trying to save Catwoman from herself. Um, which is also a weird thing because it's like, is he trying to save her from killing Shrek? Because we know he killed Joker in the in the first one. He might yeah. not. Have, it didn't seem. It's ambiguous whether or not he deliberately wanted to kill him, but he did. I mean, he, it's not. It's ambiguous if we actually did intend to kill him with the whole wrapping the bola around Joker's legs from around the gargoyle. But he did flat out say, "I'm going to kill you." Yeah. So is he trying to save Catwoman because the writers forgot about that shit, or does he know? the loneliness that comes with doing that afterwards and is trying to save her from that. Or maybe I'm just this looking too some deep great shit this. that was yeah. kind of lost in the shuffle. It so- sounds like it, it feels like it. I, I, I have a feeling since Burton had a bad time making 89, I, I don't think he thought as in depth with this. However, there is kind of a slight arc because you get to Batman forever 
And if you feel like these are all in the same continuity, as we did as we were growing up, Val Kilmer says, you know, you'll make the kill, the revenge, but then you'll find another face and another and another. And you'll find that you wake up one morning and realize that revenge has been your whole life mm -hmm. and has made you empty inside type of thing. And maybe that realization in hindsight came because that's sort of what Bruce goes through in here is him realizing yeah. like revenge has become his whole life. This is all he is. He's Batman now. And you find somebody who he, you know, has only met a few times, but you can tell there's a fascination there. Someone he realizes he cares about someone who's like a reflection of him. Um, every villain in this movie is kind of a reflection of Batman. If you think about it, you got yeah. the orphan penguin, you got Shrek being the rich, powerful guy. You got Catwoman being the vengeful person in a bat and, you know, in a suit. That's true. That's you know? cool. Uh, cool, yeah. And so he sort of sees her as a reflection of him and, you know, the fact that she refuses and still goes on the same path that he did almost tells him like it almost sort of makes him even less optimistic, you know, makes, I imagine it would make him even so darker. He's, he's frustrated with being a thankless hero. That's kind of his. Arc. That, yeah, that's definitely in the, the Waters version. That's not really in the movie. We'll explore that. more. Isn't that crazy? Episode. How yeah. like you have a movie <laughs> called Batman Returns yeah. and the lead character title character's name uh character yeah. his arc is pushed to the side <laughs> side for everyone else yeah i mean oh my god all man. everybody that was the appeal you know the appeal to be fair a lot of the appeal to batman is his rogues gallery that's what made the 60s show great was because of the villains that would come up every yeah, time and people yeah. were excited about it that because to, the villains gotta be shining yeah, yeah like the, it was always famous people playing the villains and then when yeah. it came to this one it was all about like you know who are the villains the next one who are the villains and the movies were built around those it wasn't really until nolan came in with you know his dark knight movies where at least in begins where he was like well this is a movie about batman the villains almost you know are not inconsequential but like they're not the main thing of this you know, right, they right, won't right. steal the show, at least in, in the first one. That, that went out the window once Heath came into Dark Knight. But at least for Batman Begins, that was the first time where you can look at this and be like, okay, this is actually about Batman. Right. Um, at least, I mean, to be fair, uh, from what I remember of Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, there's at least, there's actually more of an arc of Batman in those movies than the Burton ones. I got to say, when I was a kid, I will get into this when we do Batman Forever, but yeah. just as a a hint or whatever preview preview of the next, didn't next really month. didn't really like hate it when i was a kid i actually enjoyed forever i loved it too yeah yeah when i left batman and robin though i i was really like okay All right, well we'll get <laughs> this is we're definitely lost some quality here even when i walked out when i was like what 12 or something mm -hmm. 13 yeah so yeah, yeah. but i mean there, there is between the two there's not a lot of a story arc to batman in the final films but there definitely was one in the uh, original versions of this. Because remember, 89's Batman was about a guy who realizes he's turning sane when he falls in love with Vicky Vale. Again, not right. in the final movie. And this right. one's more about, was supposed to be more about a guy who feels like more of a thankless hero and isn't sure whether the city deserves it. Um, and there's other variations, different themes in, in the other previous drafts. But that will have to be saved for the next episode. All right, everybody, this has been yet another installment into uh, our ongoing deep dive into the Batman uh, movie universe. Uh, I guess you could call it that. Yeah. And uh, just like the last go around with Batman 89, we're going to do the next episode is going to be a deep dive into the scripts from basically the very first scripts up until 
the actual final movie mm-hmm. to see what we got, what was lost along the way, and things like that. Ben's told me some things off the air, and it's fucking incredible. Uh, so I, man, I actually cannot wait to go over that stuff. <laughs> These are arguably more interesting than discussing what actually happened in the movie. Yeah, I think. Do you think they're more interesting than the Batman '89 changes? Um, be honest. Yes, they are. Okay. They are more interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. There's the preview, guys. Yeah. All right, so this is Andrew of Superhouse Podcast. Catch us on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Search for Superhouse Podcast. Also, most importantly, I guess, patreon.com slash superhousepodcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash superhousepodcast. And uh, I am Thunderwolf Drew on Twitter and Instagram. And your plugs, Ben? I am Ben Juan Ryder on Instagram. And that's it. <laughs> I don't fuck with Twitter. <laughs> and and uh, that's it. We have contacted Steve Englehart and Sam Ham, uh, so we'll see what happens with that. But um, yeah, we'll see. That would be fucking awesome. Anyway, yeah, that's it. Signing off. Ben signing off.